Welcome to another edition of Hockey the Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, wherever you are in the world, you are listening to your favorite hockey podcast and glad to bring it to you as always. And of course, as always, we've got another stellar guest lined up, lined up by who else but Tyron Jabu Barnard. How are you doing, Ty? Very good day to you and yeah, absolutely looking forward to it. We are edging our way towards the Tokyo Olympic Games, Tokyo 2021, um, and uh, South Africans are going. Saskatchewan have not stopped them. They qualified, the men qualified on both criteria, and they are going, the men and women, and, and we're excited. We're 19 days away from the Tokyo Olympic Games, 20 days away from the hockey South Africa versus Great Britain, our first game up. And so obviously there's going to be a major Olympic focus over the next couple of episodes of Hockey the Podcast and hopefully giving you some great news as South Africa shock the world and make it into the top four and play for a medal. But of course, as long as uh, we go there and, and can ruffle some feathers, which we know we can do, we will be pretty pleased and, and proud as South Africans. It's amazing to think that uh, we are on the cusp of the Olympics. It, it feels so surreal. We've just uh, witnessed a British and Irish Lions match take on uh, the Johannesburg Lions, and we know that they'll be taking the Springboks in a, a couple of weeks' time. The Olympics is uh, just around the corner. Uh, we, we're watching cricket again. It seems like normality is starting to return, some semblance of it at least. Uh, of course, South Africa in the grip of a third wave of the pandemic, yet... Uh, we, we push through, and I don't think there's more of a shining light than uh, that beacon of hope that is Tokyo 2020, Ty. Absolutely, Dick. I mean, it's just just that little bit of feeling on Friday night when I had a brow with uh, my wife and my boys, and uh, Colby got to watch uh, rugby. He, he, I'll be honest, he wasn't very interested for very long because he fell asleep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just that, that feeling of... of being able to come together and watch our national team in action just brought that normality back a bit. Having the SA men play in Namibia recently was great for the hockey, but to see us on an international stage again, it's just, it's just that step towards normal because we know normal is a, a long way away. We don't actually know when normal will actually happen, Derek, but you know, those small things just from a mental health point of view are great and, and give us that little bit of hope that, uh, the world is starting to heal. Yeah, it, it does put a smile on my face just thinking that, that the Olympics, uh, we can see it in action uh, sooner rather than later. And, uh, of course, you and I won't be going. Our, our business partner, Ray, will be over there. Uh, and uh, he'll be uh, covering the, the stories and the results of many a sportsman and woman over in Tokyo, including, Ty, our very esteemed guests uh, on the show. Absolutely, Ray will be in the village. He's part of Team South Africa and another man who's part of Team South Africa, not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the third time. And and we probably should have been saying for the fourth time, but our triple Olympian, Austin Smith. Ozzy, welcome to Hockey the Podcast. Great to have you back again. Uh, we know you're an avid listener um, or a massive supporter and we appreciate it. But more importantly, it's our job to support you now. Um, so, so welcome, and uh, yeah, how, how are you feeling ahead of Tokyo? Yeah, how's it, guys? Morning, uh, 
to both of you. It's great to be back on the show. It felt pretty funny actually listening to the, the intro because normally <laughs> I'm driving in my car on my way to school or on my way home from school. Uh, and I hear that intro and it gets me all excited to, to hear who the guest is going to be. So it seems funny listening to it uh, on the other side. But I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm down here in the West Coast uh, at a small place called Britannia Bay. And while I'm speaking to you, I'm looking out on the waves. So I'm feeling extremely relaxed. I feel like this is the ideal break before our the busy period coming up. Obviously, this has been very different from your previous experiences. You went to Beijing in 2008. You went to London in 2012. Uh, you obviously were denied the opportunity to go to Rio in 2016, but this must be the strangest preparation you've ever had for any international tournament. Yes, <laughs> simply put, yes. I think I've had a few bizarre experiences. I think the, the Beijing experience, I wasn't really expecting to, to go to the Olympics and I dreamed about it for such a long time and then I went, which was incredible. London, we had to qualify twice. So that felt a little bit strange. And for these Olympics, I feel like I need to qualify like a hundred times. Like this morning, I did another COVID test here at home. And I feel like all those little tests, every time I see that positive, it almost feels like another qualification point and one step closer to being allowed into the village. So I, yeah, I definitely think these are going to be an exceptional uh, Olympic Games like none other, or hopefully it won't be repeated like this. But I'm still definitely looking forward to it. And uh, I think just for everyone in the world to be able to see an event like this, I think is going to be a great uh, beacon of hope for everyone, I'm sure. And, and Oz, obviously, uh, you know, you've got the OLY letters behind your name on, on a professional qualification level. You've, uh, you've experienced it. You've experienced the, the 2008, which was a really tough Olympics for South Africa, 2012, which was better. Um, but how does it change mentally? Obviously, uh, you are an Olympian, but that drive to go back to the Olympics never diminishes. But, you know, mentally, how are you feeling compared to your previous Olympic journeys um, from a personal point of view? Um, yeah, I definitely think uh, all, the, all the Olympics are, are unique. But, yeah, from, from my perspective, this is more than likely going to be my last chance at an Olympic Games. And yeah, having experienced uh, the village life and the the craziness that that involves, having uh, played at that level, I really want to go to these Olympics now and uh, achieve something special. That would be my dream to achieve something special uh, as a team, and yeah, really like individually, just to give uh, like the best account I can of myself, and to look back and be like, wow, I really uh, ended on a on an incredibly high and it wasn't one of those moments where people say, Ooh, maybe that was uh, one step too far. So I'm very cautious of that. Also with my club side in the Netherlands, I've made that very clear that once they think that I can't add any more value, then, uh, then I want that to be it. So these Olympics, I'm really focusing on uh, playing to the best of my ability and really uh, ending off my Olympic career on a, on a high. Awesome. Great to have you back on the show. I know Ty alluded to it a, a little earlier, the fact that, of course, the Olympics are coming, but, you know, it was touch and go for, for, for many a month, uh, many a year even. What, what is that sense like to you? I mean, as, as a man that's been there before, he knows what it is like. Uh, I can imagine in the past, having booked your plane ticket to the Olympics, you knew it was coming. Um, 
that was going to be the case last year. Then it was scrapped. Then we're like, okay, well, we're going to postpone it. And then you get stories emanating from Tokyo saying that the fans don't even want it there. And then you get another third wave popping up. So all these roadblocks uh, popping up and down. Did you almost, was it almost a case of you'd resigned yourself to uh, whatever happens, happens? Or, or were you? did you know deep in your heart that you would be going, the Olympics would be coming? I, I kind of, I'm trying to get a sense of what it feels like as a sports person to hinge your entire life on an event, which for the good part of two years, you weren't sure if it was going to happen or not. Oof, difficult, uh, yeah, difficult to explain exactly how my thought process and more kind of like from a feeling perspective, how that's gone. It's been, of course, it's been very up and down because you go through moments where I think the, the point that you touched on the Japanese public, like a large majority of the Japanese public saying that they didn't even want the Olympics to come. That, I don't know, that did something to me. I thought, well, normally countries are so excited and uh, especially the buzz that was in, uh, in and around London. Like everyone was loving the atmosphere. And then to imagine going there and almost being looked down on and uh, people not really celebrating the fact that you're there as an Olympian that uh, took a little bit of time to to get through. Um, more recently, I think I've been more excited about actually just being on the field and if they're going to be spectators there or not. I just have this feeling of being there with uh, with Team South Africa, whatever shape or form that that goes. But actually, just being out on the field and playing with the team, I think the last uh, two weeks that we had in Potchefstroom has really energize me to a new level of fact like wow this is going to be amazing to play with these guys out on the field everyone's going to become an olympian we're going to be playing against other countries so that started making it feel a little bit more real i think if i look a little bit further back for the past six months i i think i realized how lucky i was to be playing in uh, in the netherlands that my club team made it through to the playoffs that really helped uh drive me and push me and yeah i have to be honest that for a while my focus was more uh at my club team and just trying to do the best that i could there and i think that was probably a good thing because there was so much uncertainty you know between january and april even there was so much uncertainty so i think it was better that i just gave full attention to playing well for my club side and ultimately i know that that's helped me uh be in the physical condition that i am now yeah it's a strange one i, I think i can guarantee you that the Japanese public will welcome the Olympians with, with open arms. Uh, I do also think that it's probably a, a very much a, a segregated section of of the city that they probably went and canvassed. Who knows? But but again, I think when you get into the hype, uh, you do enjoy it a lot more. It, it's a little different. Uh, <laughs> a couple of years back, uh, we went to Bolivia for the Dakar Rally, and we arrived there, and they were under the rule of a. Pretty pretty nasty bloke by the name of Eva Morales. And we arrived into the town of, of La Paz. And for kilometers and kilometers, as far as the eye could see, we were welcomed by fans who were, who were holding up the signs saying, you know, welcome Dakar, welcome Dakar riders. And and it was quite cool to see. But everyone holding the signs, they, I mean, they didn't have smiles on their faces at all. And then you, you look at one line back, and there's members of the Bolivian army all standing there with uh, AK-47s in their hands. And they basically forced their fans to go and welcome welcome the, uh, everyone. And, and as you enter the city, you see the graffiti written everywhere. And there are these swear words um, just saying, basically, 
piss off Dakar. Uh, so that that was the real uh, welcoming that we got. Uh, never mind the, the fake stuff out in, in front. But I, I can <laughs> I can guarantee you that that won't be the case uh, for you in Japan. Uh, I'm sure that the Tokyo public, despite what we've heard, uh, are very very happy to see the the Olympics come to town. Uh, now you mentioned your your club side, uh, Den Bosch, and you say you've been focusing on on their uh, achievements uh, over the last uh, season or two. And it was an impressive season. Uh, playoffs for the first time in, in 20 years? Correct, yeah. Playoffs for the first time in 20 years. It's something that I've been, well, I've been dreaming of winning the Hofe Klasse since, uh, since I was pretty young. So the fact that we got that much closer and the fact that it was uh, really special for the club. Again, it was a little bit heartbreaking that we have, uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful group of people who come down to support us. Uh, a lot of the old members of the club who can remember still when the club won the league uh, well, also 20 years ago. So for them not to be able to be there because of the COVID restrictions at the time was really tough, uh, but they were extremely proud. And I was, uh, I was proud to be part of the group that had worked together for, yeah, we've had the large majority of the, of the group have been together for the past six or seven years. So that was really special to, uh, to do it with our own group. We hadn't, uh, we hadn't uh, found money somewhere to bring in loads of internationals, so it was really uh, a really special team effort. Yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, playing without the fans. I mean, I, you know, knowing you as long as I have now, I, was, I know you're a good family man, and your family love to travel around the world and support you. Uh, you know, it must also be strange because, uh, as you yourself have said, you you don't have a thousand years left at the top. And these are some really great moments. I mean, Den Bosch getting to the playoffs, going to the, the Tokyo Games. Uh, what is the impact on you mentally that your family aren't able to get across for these, these events? I don't, I don't think it's really hit home yet that my parents and, uh, and my brothers, sisters, or even my fiance won't be at the Olympics. I did feel a few months back when it was made official that foreign fans uh, won't be allowed to come and... That was, a, that was a tough moment because my parents and uh, I have a sister in Australia and a sister in South Africa. My brother's also in South Africa, but especially my two, uh, my two sisters had done so much work to find accommodation that was at least affordable because <laughs> Tokyo is not the cheapest place to stay. So they, they had ticked that box and then they had done, I can't even imagine how many hours they had worked to sign up on almost every single Olympic ticket registry that there was in the world. They'd got friends who were based in other countries to apply for hockey tickets. They'd got tickets. Some of the tickets were for different games. They were busy on swapping websites. And they'd basically arranged that we would had, I think, eight tickets for every game so that everyone could be there. So to hear the final announcement of them being told that uh, – no foreign spectators would be welcome. Yeah, it was pretty gut-wrenching uh, for them. I just felt so powerless. They'd done so much to, to make sure that they were there. And that means, oh, it means the absolute world to me. But I think when I get there, and usually after the game, we have half an hour before the bus goes back to the village or to the hotel to see friends and family. I think that moment's going to be a little bit odd because they've been to so many of our uh, of our events that that's going to be uh, a bit strange after the game where we just uh, head straight back. Yeah, probably immediately back onto the bus. There won't be any uh, any wandering around. So, yeah, that's going to be a great shame. But I am incredibly grateful for all the events that they have been at and all the. I can't even begin to tell you how much effort they put in. It was it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal what they did. Uh, no, they, they, I mean literally. If you you watch over the years uh, when we've had coverage. 
uh, you'll always see a very proudly uh, South African hat. In, uh, in, in Not just a hat, stands. a proudly dressed everything. Everything yeah, is South African. <laughs> uh, you know, that is the Smith family. And, and there's also a really cool photo. Um, I think it was in Stellenbosch when you guys had the, the Road to Tokyo qualifier. Uh, with you and everyone with their Smith shirts on the other side of the fence. Um, yes. Well, yeah. Fortunately, I have a very uh, generous sponsor who uh, <laughs> uh, Princess had made those shirts and they'd uh, hand them out to uh, to my family and uh, even my niece and nephews. So everyone had a shirt. That's a very special photo, actually. That's uh, uh, one of my one of my favorites. Yeah, we'll we'll share that on social media just so you guys know what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, absolutely. As I, I did digress and move back to Tokyo, but I want to go back to Holland now. Um, obviously, Den Bosch uh, making the playoffs, uh, COVID not allowing you a third and fourth playoff. So uh, it uh, means that you guys unfortunately finished in fourth place, if I'm correct, and, and no EHL next year. Yeah, were guys disappointed by that? Um, or is that almost something that's fired the guys up to take it a step further next year? Yeah, the third and fourth, to be honest, even as captain, I didn't even realize that that, was, uh, that wasn't going ahead. So after the game, I was speaking to some of the guys. You know, obviously, we were disappointed to, to lose to Blumendahl uh, in the semifinal. We gave a great account of ourselves. I actually thought we played really well and better than when we played them in the, in the first league game. And uh, yeah, <laughs> the scoreline wasn't very flattering, but I thought we actually played well. So that was a shame. And after the second game, when we had lost, I was speaking to some of my guys saying, well, yeah, we've still got the chance for the EHL ticket. And they, and they looked at me <laughs> and they called me, they called me Charles. They, I don't know why they called me by my middle name. And they're like, Charlesy, it's, uh, this is the end of the season. I was like, no, no, guys, the EHL. And I was still pretty pumped, you know, because it's another chance to play, uh, to play and to be part of this kind of uh, playoff atmosphere. And then, I, yeah, someone explained to me that that was, <laughs> that, that was it. And I don't know if I'd missed the article or missed the announcement. So that was a that was a great shame, but at least we've got uh, we've got something that resembles the EHL to look forward to. In uh, I think it's in October. That was still from last year when we finished second in the league. So we're playing like what they call like a European Cup. So that's at least uh, some kind of reward for for two years of uh, of good performance. Yeah, absolutely, and and it should be uh, quite interesting. Of course, uh, your lady side though. Uh, Continued to do incredibly well and uh, lifted some some good uh, had some good success again this year. Is there quite a nice relationship between the men's and women's sides? Yes, our ladies' side it's it's unbelievable what they have managed to produce over the last uh, over the last fifteen years. I mean, a lot of the time they've had the best side on paper, but of course that's the special thing about sport. It doesn't mean if you have the best best side on paper that you end up winning but their their statistics over the last uh, yeah 15 years are, are something else and this year i don't even think they actually had the best team uh, on paper and they still ground out another another league win so it's very impressive uh in terms of relationship it's not it's not amazing because they train kind of in between at alternate times so at meal times we don't see them uh, on a friday they train before us and especially the last year, we've made it. Uh, we've kept the two teams very separate. So I would say before this year, uh, we did a few social events together. But because a lot of the national players train on a Monday, and you know the vast majority of the ladies team play in the national team, so they go straight to training on Monday. Not everyone lives in Dumbos. I mean, some of the ladies, uh, quite a few of them actually live 
outside of the bus uh, up in Amsterdam. So they've got to travel an hour back. So after games, a lot of, uh, a lot of the ladies players tend to head off back home and start their recovery so they can meet with the national team the next day. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of respect between, uh, between the groups, but uh, we don't do too much together. No, the calendar, the calendar is really full. So there's not all that much time. It's not quite the same as it is in the club setups in South Africa. Awesome. We've spoken about the achievements that you managed to achieve with the club uh, from the club's point of view, but from a personal point of view, also some massive highlights that uh, you secured this season, including your 100th goal, which uh, is pretty impressive given the fact that uh, you're only the second foreigner to achieve the feat alongside your good mate, Justin Reed Ross. Indeed. Yeah. I actually really am proud of that, uh, that fact because, uh, in general, South Africans aren't uh, held in too high regard in uh, in the Netherlands. I think when clubs look at South Africans, they just think of, uh, yeah, your country ranked uh, 13th, 14th, 15th in the world. You haven't got that many uh, uh, really like superstars. So until we actually get over there and we play and they realize, okay, these guys can actually offer something. So the fact that the only two foreigners to have made 100 goals are South African actually means uh, quite a bit to me. And to share that honor with Justin, uh, as you say, he is a very good friend of mine. Uh, yeah, I got to meet up with him just before I came, uh, came down to South Africa. Yeah, that is something, uh, something really special. I still have a long, long way to go. I think I need to play about another 20 seasons to, to, take, uh, to take the lead. So I think I'm happy to give Justin that one for now. <laughs> yeah, he's also a very good friend of the show. I know that uh, you two are involved with a, in a tug of war to see who can make the most appearances on Hockey the Podcast. That's also an <laughs> achievement that uh, you two must fight over. Uh, but it's interesting you speak about the South African connection because uh, uh, we all know the South African mentality when it comes to sport is extremely strong and, and always the, the will to succeed. And uh, I suppose the club does immediately look at the rankings, etc. or foreign players do look at the rankings and they just assume, as you said, that, that they can't be that good and then they actually get to experience a player and they said, well, geez, that, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, on that note, South Africans currently plying their trade in, in South Africa. Who do you think, and of course I'm not wanting to exclude people, but just at the top of your head, who do you think would really be at home over in the Netherlands and, and, and who would strive over, over there? Yeah, without yeah, I don't want to sound too cliche, but I, I honestly think that the, our biggest strength as a as a nation is that we are we are fighters, we are loyal, uh, we work extremely hard, and that's why I think it often tends to work out for South Africans who have gone and played uh, abroad. Uh, players in the past who've come over have generally stayed at a club for a long time because guys realize, wow, this guy is a fighter; he's going to do absolutely everything. And uh, I think that's why South Africans have been successful. I think it's the difficult part is getting your foot in the door and getting to a club. And that's why I always encourage guys, don't look at uh, players who are ending off their careers there and they're on these, uh, yeah, well, I don't want to say big salaries, but they're on salaries. Just try and get over there, say you'll play for free, and then they'll soon realize, wow, this, uh, this guy, this uh, lady really has something special to offer. Uh, we do want to give them a proper contract. But if you're going to push me for an answer, Derek, uh, I would definitely yes. say <laughs> <laughs> yes. Some of our uh, some of our younger guys, and they're definitely looking. A lot of European clubs are looking for someone they can make an investment long term. They're not really that keen on having a guy come over for one or two years. So I'd say younger guys who are going to be able to uh, set up a life there. 
for five, six years, something like that. So I'm immediately thinking of uh, Bealy and Tuli up front, uh, Diane, uh, Mustafa, Ryan Julius has already come over and done a stellar job at Almira. They were incredibly happy. I know he had some offers from from other clubs because uh, he had put in such a good performance. And then you know you've really made a, a good name for yourself if other clubs start uh, asking you and inviting you over to their club. Uh, we've already got quite a few, actually, to be honest, playing, uh, playing obviously. I think like Matt Geis Brown doing exceptionally well uh, in England. But yeah, basically any young player who who's in our national team at the moment, I'd say give it a, give it a go. There's, uh, yeah, the worst that can happen is that it doesn't go well, and then you come back to South Africa. But otherwise, I say, yeah, just go for it. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Matt Guys Brown playing in England. You, of course, played in England first, uh, moved over. Is there a league that you, uh, you would have loved to try uh, that you maybe never got the opportunity to? Well, I would have definitely loved to have played in a USA tournament here in South Africa. I've heard so many amazing stories about playing in USA tournaments in South Africa. So I guess that's one competition I would have uh, I would have enjoyed playing in. As far as any leagues, yeah, I just enjoy playing in foreign leagues because uh, you learn so much. You can play against different styles, uh, different routines, uh, different mentalities. Um, yeah, the Australian league I always thought was interesting because, especially in Perth, where the national players are based. And I like the aggression that the Aussies play with. I think I would have liked to have gone and tested myself in that environment. But uh, no, otherwise, uh, in general, I would think guys should just go and play overseas to get an experience and just to uh, see hockey from a different perspective and uh, yeah, get a different understanding and, uh, and to learn. I think that's the most uh, beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's, it's also what, what some guys uh, find is, you know, obviously the Wolfter Klasse is the league that has the reputation. It's a league that, you know, as a youngster following hockey, that's the league you want to tick. Um, maybe the next one down is the Bundesliga. Um, and uh, obviously the English Premier League is highly ranked. But, uh, you know, for a lot of guys, uh, they maybe get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, blinded by the Wolfter Klasse a lot. And they don't realize that going over to someplace like Belgium first, which is a really good league, which takes on a lot of South Africans, offers you a great window uh, into playing in Europe and is something that they shouldn't look uh, miss the opportunity to do. No, absolutely not. I mean, the one of the things that clubs look at is, okay, can this guy survive in another environment? Not suited to everyone. Some people go away from home for a year and they really, really struggle. Uh, I certainly did at the start. I'm glad that uh, my family motivated me to push on through the the dark times. But uh, that does take something uh, special, I think, to be able to thrive in an environment that uh, that isn't yours, in a culture that isn't yours. You're going to different venues. You're playing in a new style. It's a different language. It's a lot to take in. And some people, and not just Africans, I mean, I've had uh, teammates. I've had a Spanish international, uh, Argentinian, sorry, an Argentinian international player at Den Bosch. At one stage, he was voted the best junior player in the world. He came to Dumbos, and yeah, he just couldn't he just couldn't fit into the into the style of play, and he really didn't thrive. And yeah, he therefore also didn't really enjoy his time with us. So that was a great shame. So that is something that uh, that big clubs look at. They say, okay, has this guy played overseas before? Has he got experience of of being on his own, playing in a different environment? So yeah, that's why I was glad that uh, I just made the step overseas. I was in England. Uh, I wasn't being paid to play. They helped me find a job, fortunately. 
But I mean, at that stage, we were still paying to play. You had to pay match fees. You had to play cup fees. We even play, paid for our kit at that stage. So then to finally have that experience and then to go over to the Netherlands and start uh, actually getting paid a little bit, uh, I think that was a good a good step to take. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask is, obviously, you experienced Hockey India League and, and it was the one tournament that uh, offered potential to, to play to pay players a decent amount uh, when they eventually did pay. And if they did <laughs> pay. Um, you know, what, what, what do you think is stopping hockey from having something like that, that explosive uh, tournament? Because hockey has a mass following around the world. It, it really does. Um, there are millions of people that watch. The, the idea that the pro league was the answer to this hasn't quite turned over it's uh, too exclusive it, it hasn't really triggered you know what, what what's stopping hockey from taking that next step to to say we don't want to be the second tier sport anymore we want to be a first tier sport and take us seriously sure that's uh <laughs> i feel like if i had the answer to that then i would be almost like <laughs> create world peace time <laughs> Uh, yeah, what is stopping hockey from uh, becoming incredibly uh, attractive kind of spectator sports? Ask, uh, the, the beauty pageant before they decide. Who's <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. I can tell you what I think that's definitely made a difference, uh, and that's uh, yeah, maybe something that people often don't think about. But I think the fact that we've now got uh, high definition TV, and people in general have better quality TVs, the filming, the production is better quality, that you can actually see the individual skill and it's not this kind of blurry, pixelated image of someone running with some type of object. It's actually, you can actually see the intricate detail uh, and the skill level of players, which I think is, uh, has definitely helped. How are we going to get hockey uh, as big as some of the other sports? Sure. I'm just going to be honest and say I don't have the answer to that one. Uh, I would love to see it there. The pro league, yeah, I think the pro league is uh, is perhaps a step in the right direction for the for the elite uh, countries in the world. But I don't think it's it's the answer for hockey in general. Though I think that's going to create a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots. So I'm not I'm not a massive fan. But at least uh, even as a spectator, I just enjoy being able to see hockey uh, most weekends or pre-COVID. We're seeing hockey most weekends. So I think that was a step in the right direction. Yeah, I uh, I sit in the camp that I don't think they took the right uh, model for it, I, I, you know, the right uh, product. I think the model is not bad, but I think club hockey is where we really should look to to elevate the game. Leave your World Cup and the Olympics as your international pedigree events, but imagine we could build, you know, like the EHL has, but more of a global thing where where, you know, Let's get the South African champion club over to play a series against, I mean, and they, they will probably take a, a bit of a thumping, but, you know, let's get the South Africans over. Let's get the Australian club champions over and let's have almost a World Club Cup over in Holland there at The Hague or something. I mean, I think that could be something really special. Um, you know, and, and definitely. Also, oh, what a, what a great spectacle it would be. Absolutely, yeah. If you can arrange that the next few years before a tie, tie, I'd be very grateful. Yeah, look, I'd definitely I'm be just, keen to play. 
just looking for a sponsor. So if uh, Sahara Computers or anyone is available, <laughs> no, no we're, we're not. We're not going down that line, hey, Derek. We we don't want to be associated there. Hey? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Money talks. <laughs> um, it, it's strange though, Austin, because. It's well documented, and I've spoken about it on the show quite often. In that, my first introduction to hockey was a couple of years ago. From from a live perspective, was when Ty and I commentated on that tri series. It was an indoor series that took place in Durban, featured South yes, Africa, yeah. Zimbabwe, and and Botswana. And I was absolutely blown away. And and it is exactly that. I I think the fact that hockey gets more coverage now certainly helps, but. It does amaze me how certain sports just are immediately picked up by the public and through tradition and through parents enjoying it, et cetera, et cetera, then they become popular. Other sports, not so much. And and I'll go and sit in a hockey game and, and I think, how, how are more people not enjoying this? And, and it's not even that. It's, how, it's, not, it's not about them not enjoying it. It's about people not being aware of it. I think that's the difference because I can guarantee you I could take 20 people and put them into a hockey game to watch and 19, if not 20 people will, will enjoy it. And, and you know, Ty knows that I know it, majority of, well, our listeners know it because they're obviously all hockey fans. And it's just about getting that awareness out to say there's a sport out there which is enthralling, it's exciting, it's, it can be nail-biting at times. The, the skills on show are phenomenal and unlike anything you'll see, the athletes involved are in the best shape of their life and probably in the best shape of most sports people's lives, yet we don't have the numbers, we don't have the money. Why, why, why? Just getting it out there, that's all we want. Do you think that I often wonder if the, if the technical side and the rule side is often a hindrance to our, to our sport, that there are so many intricate rules I don't know. When you first sat there, maybe that's a good person to ask. When you first sat there watching, do you think, well, why is the umpire blowing the whistle there? Oh, what's what's going on there? Like, oh, surely that's a foul. What's Why not? It, you know, isn't that obstruction? Especially if we compare it to football with the bizarre obstruction rule. Like, did yeah. you feel a bit confused watching? Well, well, luckily for me, I mean, I had Ty with me. So I had a good sounding board and I could immediately go to him and, and find out. And, and as soon as it was explained to me, it made so much more sense. And, and it's interesting because... Um, I've covered a lot of Olympic events in the past from a commentary point of view. And a lot of the time I think, oh, geez, I'm doing this sport. I've got no idea what it's about. So I'd go and read up on it. Immediately, once I found out more about the sport and understood its intricacies and its rules, it was a whole new world. And it's a cliche, but knowledge is power. And once you understand something, it becomes so much more enjoyable. And that's exactly what the case was with every single sport that I covered in the Olympics, from curling to uh, dressage, etc. And, and I suppose you could say that, but I mean, hockey isn't that... Co- I mean, you look at rugby. I mean, rugby's got a million rules, and yet they've got a billion fans. Uh, <laughs> you know, and rugby's one of the most complicated sports ever. I... Uh, look at test cricket, for example. Uh, I had a, a Greek cousin come out who can't even speak English, I took him to a day of test match cricket, and by the end of the day, he was hooked. He couldn't understand a thing, didn't know what the hell was going on, uh, still doesn't know <laughs> what's going on, yet, yet he enjoys it. And, and to be fair, I mean, test cricket, I, mean, I absolutely love it, but to someone who knows nothing about it, you could come and sit there for a day and think, yeah, this is actually pretty boring. Uh, so I don't know, maybe it is a rules thing. And 
I mean, maybe there's a way to educate the viewers better and say this is how it works and, and try and get it out there as to how exactly a game of hockey unfolds. I, I don't know. I, and like you said, it's, uh, if we knew this, we could solve world peace and a whole lot of other things. Yeah, I, I also, want to, I also the... want to interject there, though, because I think you know, the other thing is you've got to know your product and, and know your, your audience. So here in South Africa, we, we launched the PHL a few years back. And uh, the PHL, in principle, has a really good idea, a good offering, a good compact service. I think uh, in practice, there's a few things we could do to, to streamline it and improve it. But Supersports uh, took the rights and they put it on, on a Saturday and a Sunday. And it was on at the same time as Curry Cup, Premier League football, um, you know, uh, Super Rugby it may have been at the time. Uh, you know, tennis, Formula One. And uh, if, you're, if you're trying to break the mold and you're trying to get people to move across to a sport maybe that they don't regularly watch, you've got to kind of put it in a time where it's not competing with the sports that everybody does watch. And here in South Africa, traditionally, cricket, rugby, soccer. So if there is a Saturday, I mean, everyone knows in South Africa, Saturday is rugby day, you know, that comes first. And then the other sport that runs on that day is football day. Um, so, you know, I'd almost love to see things like the PHL being Friday night lights, uh, you know, Thursday night lights, you know, maybe Thursday, Friday. Uh, maybe we play Saturday mornings. You know, I, I just think outside the box a little bit. And, you know, as much as it was great having Supersport cover that, I really don't think they got the coverage uh, or the viewership that they wanted, because even the big dedicated hockey fans are usually also other sports fans too. Um, and when you dilute the attention, that's never going to give you the numbers that makes a sponsor turn around and say, sure, but this is the sport that I want to watch. But if you were to do like uh, Francois Pinot did and did Varsity Cups made Varsity Sports move to a Monday, I mean, I'm sure if Supersport went back and showed you their numbers, their Varsity hockey coverage probably was some of their best viewership numbers. That's probably true. Sure, I feel like we're solving a lot of problems here, guys. So far, we've got the <laughs> World Club Hockey League. We've got Friday Night Lights, PHL. And maybe if I can add in maybe something useful to this conversation. <laughs> I, really, I really like when rugby started uh, miking the umpires and being able to hear what the file was. And I felt like, as a non-rugby person myself, I felt like I... Learned a lot from that, and having little uh, uh, little bits of text pop up at the bottom of the screen saying uh, offside or uh, whatever it was, I think that was really helpful. I felt educated, and I felt more interested to watch. I thought, oh, look, I could point something out, and I could understand why something uh, was what it was. Yeah, it could be a little bit more challenging because hockey is so quick. We don't always have time to uh, put the umpire's mic on and hear the explanation because play goes on. But something that could perhaps help... Uh, on the education front. Fully agree. I think uh, there's often times that, uh, uh, you know, when you watch rugby and you see a decision and then the umpire, uh, the ref talks about it, and, you know, oh, okay, I, I don't agree necessarily, but I can see why you did that and it makes sense. And yeah, it's, um, it would be interesting. As obviously the, the big thing on the horizon now is Tokyo. I mean, Obviously, the dream is to go there and win a medal. Um, realistically, that's, that's probably a little bit of a stretch too far. Not saying it can't happen, but... Um, Very nicely worded, Tyron. 
Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Let me not get kicked out of SA hockey. But I mean, what, what, what would be a successful Olympics for you? Oh, it's difficult to say because at the moment, I honestly feel, I was talking to my family about it recently and my, uh, my dad is asking like, oh, where do you think you are as a team? And I thought, well, I was counting back. Like the last time I was a part of the team that we played a top 10 team was 2018. So we're now kind of three years further on and we've just played against the South African 21s. We played four games. We played against uh, Northwest University with a couple of our uh, reserves playing for them. And I thought, oh, yeah, things are coming along. There's some shapes and, uh, and tactics that are working. But how that's going to look against uh, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Great Britain, yeah, and to some extent Canada, I honestly have no idea. I think we're going to get uh, a good idea of where we are when we get to Tokyo and we play our two practice games. But until then... It's a, it's a big unknown, to be honest. So what our end goal is, I don't actually know. Yeah, I will never stop dreaming of winning. I don't care what sport or game I'm playing. I'm always going for the win. So the, the dream is to win gold. Absolutely. And that's what it was uh, Yeah, every time I've, uh, I've gone to a competition. What is achievable? I actually have no idea. But we're preparing as well as we can. And we are going to go out there. And we're going to go and, uh, and give it absolutely everything in all of our games. And then, uh, yeah, at the end, we'll see, see where we are. Awesome. That's magnificent here. And we didn't expect anything less, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we love having you on the show. And we wish you all of the best uh, over in Tokyo. But before we get into that, I know you speak about going for gold over in Tokyo. But uh, you've also got to go for gold one more time in the One Question Quiz. Living the moment till I die. Okay, this is a, a pretty easy one, I think, if you're a fan. I actually only really found out about it a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was amazing. Uh, Sorry, Derek. Um, I'm not going to fall for that one, because I don't know how many times I've heard on the show, <laughs> yeah, you should know this, or this is quite an easy one, and it's been completely obscure. So please don't even start with, <laughs> with that line. <laughs> this, is, this is actually not obscure, but I, I wasn't a massive viewer of the series, so... I only really got to know it the other day, and I thought, oh, man, that, that is so cool. Uh, okay, so James Bond had a, a massive enemy called Oddjob. What was the, that version's name in the series <laughs> in Austin Powers? This is this is, it, this is obscure. <laughs> you see, so what? So, it's not so, so Ty reckons it's easy. I d had no idea. No, but, I, I have no idea. Oh, okay. So, odd job was the enemy in James Bond, but in the Austin Powers version, what was that guy's name? An odd well, job. I don't the know. Only the guy with the I hat. Is that is that the Austin Powers uh, series was amazing? Yeah. And I always feel old when I say to kids, they say, oh, like, what's your name? Especially in the Netherlands. And I say, oh, Austin, like, like Austin Powers. And then they say, what's that? And I'm like, what do you mean, what's that? <laughs> and then I realize, oh, that actually came out like in the 1990s and I'm really old now. So don't, let's just move on from that. I always say to them, they look at me thinking I'm a bit crazy. <laughs> All right. Who was our job in the Austin Powers series? Yeah. What was oh. his name? And remember, they always had a little twist on the names. 
Oh, I'm trying to think of like two characters. I'm just trying to think of characters from Austin Powers. I've got kind of Dr. Evil and Goldmember in my head. And that's all I've got. So can I answer with two? And they're probably both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Five, four. Do you know, Ty? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I think you. But I was I was trying to do the the correlation there with how uh, you got to this question. Yes, thank <laughs> and, you, thank and you. And then I was like, okay, Tyrant. I'm from Austin. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, I remember that in in um, some powers I like to just so if it was it's a play on words. Yeah, time. it was a play on words, so they would have taken the name and done something with it. Yes. Yeah. I would play with something like that. Exactly. But no, I don't know. That no. Do you give no, it a Derek, come on Austin Powers is $1 million if it was even. <laughs> so, so we said, and, and I mean, viewers and big fans of the series would be sitting at home now thinking, when they're caught, thinking, how can you not know this? But I, I had no idea. And I was sitting around a bri a couple of days ago in Uppington and it was brought up by a friend of mine, Voldu. And I thought, that is genius. I love the guy's name. But the guy that you're looking for in James Bond, the bloke's name was Odd Job. But in Austin Powers, his name was. Random task. Oh, my, this is exactly what I meant by this is going to be an easy one. This is absolutely not easy. And I take my hat off to anyone who's listening to this that actually linked those two things together. <laughs> Random task was the, the guy's name in the Austin Powers series, which uh, Austin Smith got wrong. Uh, but uh, he won't do wrong over in Tokyo. Austin, it's been so good having you on the show once again. Wonderful. It's great. Great chatting to you guys. I'm looking forward to listening to this again when I get back, uh, get back to Netherlands and I'm back, in my, back at my job. Uh, but it's been wonderful to chat to you guys again. And thank you. Uh, thank you for your support. It's, uh, it's brilliant to have you guys uh, yeah, part of the hockey family. I love it. Yeah. Was, and good luck for Tokyo. Enjoy your third Olympic Games and uh, go out there. And I don't really have to say this because I know you will, but go out there and make the country proud. Thank you. I'm going to absolutely do my best. Cheers, Austin. Thanks so much, man. As always. Cheers, uh, guys. Give it horns over in Tokyo. Tyre, congratulations on another great guest. Uh, the Olympics is around the corner. Make sure to watch every single minute of the action. And uh, Ty, I won't see you on the golf course anytime soon. Uh, we're taking a bit of a break following a, a great weekend uh, a couple of weekends ago. But uh, yeah, we'll be watching the Olympics fast and furiously. I can't wait. Yeah, South Africa versus Great Britain on the 24th of July is our first game. And, of course, our women play on the same day against Ireland. Um, so that should be great crack. Uh, remember, you can follow all the action wherever you want over the, the social media channels. We'll be posting updates. Of course, uh, Tokyo has and the Olympic Games has some strict rules. So our graphics might look nothing like Tokyo or anything like that. But we'll have results. We'll be having updates and, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing it and hoping that uh, the South African teams can go there and just ruffle some feathers, you know. We've uh, we've seen the South African men um, produce some great moments of quality in recent years and they're starting to flirt with climbing back up into the top 10. Let's see if they can do it at the Oi Hockey Stadium in Tokyo, just 20 days away. Can't wait. Cheers, Ty. Just...